Welcome everyone to Around the ACL. I'm your host, Michelle Thompson, and I'm joined by Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. And we have so much to dive into because this past weekend was the second ACL Open in South Dakota, and we had some awesome talent show up with some very impressive matches. So let's run through the winners. All right, you guys ready? Let's go. Ready. Let's ready. do it. Okay, cool. So we had the level one doubles champs, Kobe Costanza and Peyton Mares. We had the level one singles champ, Tony Smith, women singles champ, Lexi Hugeback, senior singles champ, Gregory Silvis, and the advanced blind draw champs, Brennan Ballard and Johnny Cox. We had some young players on there. We had some names we know. We had some names maybe we didn't know. And it's just been an awesome, awesome weekend. So let's start with the singles. Tony Smith. I mean, not a big surprise there, or was it to you guys? Uh, to me, it was, I don't, it's, it's, it's tough to say if it was a surprise, right? Cause Tony Smith is so talented. I kind of, I kind of put this on my Twitter a little bit. I think Tony Smith has that potential to be kind of this year's Eric Davis and kind of be a human highlight reel ish type person. Um, and I think he's got that potential, but cause he just has such good ex execution of so many different shots. Right. And so ultimately it's like, where he struggled maybe a little bit last year, not even struggled, where he wasn't this incredible player that he was, I think it was because he had to go bag for bag for bag for bag. And this, you know, tournament, he was able to, in some other terms, he's able to execute that roll shot time and time again. He's able to hit the big shots. He's able to dictate the game and how it's played on every single game. And so he was just a dominating force. Um, I think, if anything, it's just good news for Tony Smith and good outlook for kind of the rest of the season. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Anthony? Well, by the All way, right. you can say it, Trey. He gets bored. <laughs> that's that's the yeah. problem. He goes yeah. back for back. He gets bored. Yeah. So he didn't yeah. have to do that this time, right, Anthony? Yeah, I got a lot to say about Tony Smith. A.K.A. Big Roll. A.K.A. Big, big Tone. A.K.A. <laughs> big Allen. I don't know all these names come from. Tony Smith is a shooter. So, Trey, Mish, let me break this down for everybody. Not every player is going to be a shooter. So, in Cornhole, you got Cornhole players. You got baggers and you got shooters. And that describes how badass your game is and how committed to your craft they are. A lot of players are baggers. And basically what we're saying is, is you're playing weekly. You're playing in multiple tournaments. That's 95% of the cornhole world. Tony Smith is different. He's a shooter, which is way dedicated beyond the norm. We're talking about a guy who always has his bags with him. He eats, breathes, and sleeps cornhole. He's never not thinking about cornhole. He's a shooter who's always willing to step up. He's putting the time in. He's willing to accept all challenges. Tony Smith is a shooter. He's a shooter. I like that. Can I, I'm going to write that one down. I put that in my little <laughs> notebook over here, Anthony. I like that. Shooter. No I argument mean, it, here. It, it just got, I think it describes his play style too, right? I mean, Tony Smith is one of those guys where he's not conservative, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt. If there's a roll shot opportunity, or if there's an airmail drag opportunity, I mean, he's going to go for it. I mean, that's his game is built on aggression, and sometimes that aggression come back, comes back and bites you. But if you're one of those players, I saw Michael Grube say this on social media. He said, you know, Tony isn't always on his game, right? Um, and, and even when he plays someone, Matt Guy, for example, and Grub didn't say this, but I'm kind of I'm st stretching this a little bit, right? When Matt Guy's really on his game, he's just sliding bag after bag, bag after bag in the hole. He's not doing anything to his opponent. But Tony Smith, when he's on his game, he is messing with his opponent. He is he is putting them in a position where they are uncomfortable. And Michael Grub said, who is former ACL pro, he said, when Tony is on, I don't think there's anyone better. When Tony is in Tony Smith's zone, and he gets there a lesser percentage of the time as someone like Mac Guy gets in the zone. But when he's in that zone, he doesn't. He says there's no one even better. Is that? I mean, is that something that you would believe, Anthony? I mean, you you've played you've played at that highest level. Uh, do you see something like that as well? A hundred percent. You see you see pieces of that. When I saw him in the qualifier, when he qualified, what was that? A year ago, I was yeah. blown away. He played one of our best players out of Colorado, and his bounce and roll get twenty one zero. It blew my mind. And then <laughs> actually coming out, coming out in rounders in this open, he had three matches. I think it was his first three matches. He was like an 11 plus. And for a guy like Tony Smith, where he doesn't give a shit about PPR, he does not care right. about PPR. He cares about wins and he cares about his DPR. And for a guy like that to come out and throw an 11 plus, that's next level. Well, he's yeah, a defensive that's... 
he's a defensive player. So that's why that's so crazy. Right. And that's why I think, I think this past season helped him because this past season, you had the combination of brand new boards and brand new bags. And you put brand new boards on brand new bags because of the new ba- boards that were put out by the ACL and the new bag policy, everybody had to get new bags. That creates a very slick environment. And so because this past year, I think he had to learn how to throw a very in very slick conditions, right? He had to learn how to do that and go bag for bag. And he probably hated it all year long, but he <laughs> did it anyway. But that allowed him to build up. So now it, he has flexibility both ends. If he, if he get, has to go on a stretch where he has to go bag for bag for bag for bag and throw an 11 plus, he can. But he still can get back into that original wheelhouse where he can really be a deadly roll and flop shot player. And that Absolutely. he was. And that kind of leads into actually our doubles champs too. We saw a similar kind of play where, where Kobe Costanza and Peyton Mares, young players, uh, came out and won. And Peyton, he's... um. He's entertaining. He's fun to watch. He's, he does not hold back what he thinks or feels. That's for sure. Yeah, there was, you know, uh, with, with the ACL only allowing a certain number of players under the age of 18 within the pro division, not the people of Louisiana, not the people of the Southwest or, or the, even the Southeast, you know, in that region, not those people. But there were a lot of people that were like, Peyton Mayers got in as one of those players. They were kind of like, who is this kid? But I think he proved immediately why he was one of those last U18 players to get in there because he's a little bit flashy. I mean, kind of like you said, with, whether it's his play style, his personality, whatever. Or his I shirt. Mean, the, <laughs> or his shirt. Or his shirt, yeah. Uh, the, the, the kid in the duo, you know, of Costanza. That was the first time I got to see Costanza play. I had seen Mayers play, and he's been, you know, super impressive, but – I think Costanza was a surprise for me too, but definitely a flashy team. And uh, I, I like Maris. I'm, I'm interested to see what he does uh, this season. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I kind of feel doubles. Is, let, me, let me just talk about doubles like all together in some big summary, because even starting off with rounders. So we had two teams go six and zero. Oh. We got Carson G and Lexi huge back. get the number one seed. We'll talk about Lexi in a little bit. Chris Tornatola and Storm Ho get six and zero. Oh the number two seed. I did not see that coming with those two teams yeah. coming out of the stack doubles, getting six and zero. Oh. Then we move into the tournament. Both of those top seed teams take an L in their first match, dropping them down to the loser's bracket, giving up those seeds to other teams. Then we get into the bracket. Storm Hogue and, uh, and Tornatola take a, that first round loss was to Tay Harris and Gino DeLisa at a mile high cornhole. Those guys are coming off a Colorado state championship win just two weeks ago. They come into this open. So that's a big win for them. Then they go on and two tight losses, Tony Smith and Ty Cobb. They lose that one, 21, 19, ultimately go on and take third. And then they lose to Modlin Morton. They were actually up 18, 15 Modlin Morton squeaked that one out at the end who ultimately take fourth. But like you said, the team stealing the show for me out of Louisiana, Peyton Mares and Kobe Costanza. Like you said, Mares, a 15-year-old junior ACL rookie pro coming through the application process. So for me, that validates the ACL's pick there. Great pick. I mean, the guy showed up showing that he belongs. Costanza, also a young kid, 18-year-olds out of the same out of the same club. I mean, yeah, these guys for me, they came. I'd say they came out of nowhere, kind of because it was a week ago where I saw them for the first time at a regional. Costanza takes singles, they both take doubles, and they had to go through Jimmy Humans and Ty Cobb to do that. So for me, they clearly have game. And if you're going through guys like Jimmy Humans and Ty Cobb, you're immediately on the radar for me. Yeah. That's so impressive that. showing for the unknown squad. One one stat that I did like is, the which kind of was blowing my mind, the player, though, that led – doubles in PPR, Tony Smith, which is crazy that he was arguably, you could argue, well, it was definitely, he was the most impressive player in singles, but you could argue, you have an argument that one of the most impressive players on the double side as well was also Tony Smith. So, I mean, he was dominant the whole weekend. Now that's, you know, and not to say anything about Tyler Cobb or anything like that, but you know, I don't think Tyler Cobb had his 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 best weekend either. But you just wonder, did Tony Smith have enough to possibly, you know, sweep both? But regardless, you know, Mayors Mayors also finished fifth in singles. So you know, winning doubles, fifth in singles. I mean, ultimately, he's a 
I don't know. He just he, he's got he's got potential to be a really good player. But but um, yeah, singles and doubles really intense this past weekend in South Dakota, and 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 I think it's only going to get more stacked and more talented um, as we go throughout these opens. Yeah, Hi. just to show, just sorry, real quick, just to talk through mm-hmm. how dominant uh, how dominant Costanza and Mares were. They went five and one in rounders, lost one match to a, a California Power team in Williams Ballard. They end up getting into the bracket, going through those guys again, win that one 21-11, all the way to the king seat. They win just the first scoop, or excuse me, lose the first scoop of the double dip to Fuentes Cox. So they went 12-2 and two if you count doubles, rounders, and the tournament. I mean, they were dominant all weekend. That's a marathon day, too. There's no doubt. <laughs> That's definitely a marathon day. Um, and then, of course, we had our women's singles uh, champ, Lexi Hugeback, senior singles, Gregory Silvis, and the blind draw that you mentioned, Brennan Ballard. And he was joined up with Johnny Cox, obviously a power team. Um, so any thoughts about those matches? I, I particularly like Hugeback, um, you know, a, an amateur, if you will, um, in the sense of pro versus amateur. Um, and and a, a player that I think has has right out of the gate right at the beginning of the season said, Hey, I'm going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in the women's division. I want to be a female pro. I, I'm, I'm going to be a player that's going to be here to play for, for you know months and years to come. So excited to see how her season continues to progress. Love the delivery. I said it, you know, it was so funny. I sat there watching her. I'm like, that girl is a D one athlete somewhere. Like, I, I don't know. And, and I didn't get the D one right, but she does play collegiate basketball. I was like, she just, her delivery is, it just looks athletic. Does that make any sense? And uh, I mean, am, am I making oh, any sense there when I say athletic delivery? Athletic delivery means perfect sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're the delivery guy and the form guy. So, I mean, yes, if, if, if that makes sense, it's, it makes sense to, to somebody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, kind of feeding off a huge back, you, you mentioned she's already an athlete college basketball player. So she ended up taking fourth in women's singles at open one. She comes out here, wins the whole thing in women's singles and open two. And, and to mention this, I think it's a cool story. She dedicated that entire weekend and the win to her mom, Shelly Hugeback, Hugeback, who battled and beat breast cancer. Really cool oh, story there. But, that's but awesome. What, yeah, really cool. But what really stood out for me for Lexi was that match to get to the queen seat. She's down 15-0 to Trujillo. Down 15-0. Yeah. She comes back and wins that 21-18. So for me, that shows the grit. And the mental fortitude that that makes great players. She she's got she's got something working there. Yeah, no, she she really does. She she was impressive. And I think you know uh, something else that someone was you know another player that I wanted to highlight was someone Brennan Ballard, right? Because <laughs> Brennan Ballard, I think, was one of those players, those U eighteen players that, and he won the blind draw. He also had strong finishes in both singles and in doubles. That kind of felt slighted that he was just a PDC player, right? I mean, he was yeah. mad. He was angry that he was He's not also a, a player. fiery player. I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's, you know, both of you, that's, you, you know, he's on your side of the country. And so I know he's been a big leader. There's a lot of people rooting for him. Um, but, you know, I thought he had an impressive weekend too, based on his advanced blind draw finish, a top four finish in singles. And then ultimately uh, I think a decent doubles finish as well with, with Williams. Those kids yeah. though, they play fast. I saw Brennan Ballard at the <laughs> state championships in Sacramento and I was calling his game and I was like, I felt like you put the game on fast forward. <laughs> like I was, I could barely commentate it because I couldn't talk that fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's rolling. He's nasty. And for those that have never seen uh, Ballard play. So he, he's a junior phenom, right? He's got this really long, deep backswing. He steps with his throwing foot. It's a unique technique. But it works for him. And like you said, he was fire all weekend. Went deep in singles, went deep in doubles, and then he won that advanced blind, blind draw. He's uh, he's going to be coming. That kid's coming for sure. Oh, yeah. He's coming for sure. All right. So we are very blessed to be able to have Mike Morton join us. So we're going to bring him on for Morton's Corner because he's got some great stuff to add to uh, this lovely show. So welcome, Mike. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So tell us a little bit of your thoughts on what's going on. And I know you have some maybe potentially controversial thoughts on some stats. So let's get into it. All right. I'm not sure they're controversial yet, but I'm working on making them controversial. So so everyone's been talking about, you know, we're so we're so blessed to be able to have 
the, the bag tracker and, and get statistics. And the more statistics we compile, I, I believe the further our game advances. But learning how to analyze those statistics and not just go by gut feel is going to be really critical as we advance. So I think there's a large number of people out there that just make an assumption that PPR is the, the best statistic to predict final performance. There's also another contingent out there that believes differential is the best predictor. I will go on record as saying I originally, before I started looking into anything, I thought differential was going to be the better indicator. I really strongly thought that that was my hypothesis. So I've been doing some research um, behind the scenes on last season stats. And then I thought it would be interesting to look at this weekend's open, which I attended and got to see some of those great performances you all talked about. Um, and I compared differential and PPR. And first, before I start telling you some of the things I found, Trey, Anthony, I'd like to get your take on what your feelings are. Is one better than the other? And if so, which one and why? Uh, yeah, so for me, I'm, I'm kind of like, this is going to really upset some of the core cornhole community. But I think my, you know... The, the ones that are more – it's going to sub the cornhole corner community because I like PPR better than DPR. I really do. I think PPR in general is going to be a better indicator. And there are more instances where DPR lies to me than PPR lies to me, right? If I have someone with a really good PPR, is it potential that they just did not ultimately – um, score a lot against their opponent because they were just a bag-for-bag bag player, and as soon as you put up a blocker in front of them, they completely fell apart, and that's where they lost. Yes, there are cases, but I think it's more often that DPR can lie to us and tell us that someone has a 1.0 DPR. They're scoring a full point, but they're doing so, be doing so because their opponent's throwing a six. And if their opponent's throwing a six then ultimately that to me does not scream impressive and does not lead me to be overly impressed with a particular performance. So I don't know. Anthony probably thinks a little bit different than me, but I, I'm more of a PPR than a DPR guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm the opposite. And I, I, when I say opposite, I, I hate PPR. <laughs> but I realize you need that as a part opinion. of it. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. like PPR because it, it almost forces you to play your game a certain way. And if you have a different strategy, you have to you have to not care about PPR. But let's talk about PPR. It's Sunday. You got the football game on. You walk by and you go, what's the score? Oh, it's 30 to 30 to what? Like you're missing the other half of the score. If it's 60 to something, you're probably going to be like, oh, he's winning. That's almost like an 11 PPR. Right. But if the score of the football game is 10 to 10 to what? You almost need that other number to know how they're lining up against their opponent. Now, with DPR. It's also difficult because let's say you start off in the beginning rounds and you have a couple easy matches. Your DPR is really high. And then you get into the, you know, into the meet where you start playing really good players and maybe it goes to the reverse. So yeah, it's, it, I think you need both numbers to tell you what a match looks like and alone, they just don't tell you enough information. All right. Those very good perspectives. So what's the answer, Mike? Very good perspectives. <laughs> so, so Trey, I think you are spot on. DPR can be uh, can be very telling sometimes, but sometimes it is a big liar. It it can really be off drastically. PPR can be off sometimes, but and what I'm finding not nearly as drastically. Um, so, I hesitate to say this, but I think my original hypothesis is leaning towards being disproven. I'm not willing to say that yet. Not controversial yet, but I think it's it's leaning towards being disproven. So um, now I'll and, say and this I want to give you an example. I was going to say uh, one thing that I found very interesting is that Kobe Costanza and Peyton Mayers did win an open with an 8.54 PPR this weekend. So to an extent, right. my my theory is kind of that's where my theory falls apart is is when you have someone win right. an event like that. I, I want to give you an example of, you know, we've, we've seen examples of how PPR is wrong. We've all seen those. You know, somebody wins a tournament but only has the seventh highest PPR or vice versa. Um, but this weekend, your singles D bracket, this is how smooth PPR predicted it and how smoothly it went. Um, in PPR, highest PPR in the 
bracket play was Storm Hogue. Happened to finish in first place in his bracket. So first and first. And second place was Jareth Nichols. In, and, and that's in PPR. Third place overall. PPR, third place Ty Cobb. Fourth place overall. Um, and this kind of just goes on. Fourth place in PPR, Roman Vega. Second place overall. So as you go down the list, it, it very accurately predicted it. Now, I could also find other brackets where it, it wasn't so smooth. So here's what I did from this weekend. I took the four singles brackets. I took the women's singles bracket. And I took the senior singles bracket. And I analyzed the top six finishers and what their PPR ranking was and what their differential ranking was worth. And here's what I found. Out of the six occasions, three times the PPR was a better indicator. Two times differential was a better indicator. And one time they were perfectly even. So to me, we're <laughs> leaning towards PPR, but it is not proven. In every single event, you have outliers. And some of those outliers can come, let's let's be honest, at the end of a game, if the score is 20 to 19 and player A misses their first two bags and player B puts them in, and it's now no longer conceivable that they're going to win. Um, if the players happen to get a little slop at the end and that last frame becomes an eight, it's going to over-exaggerate actually both of those statistics. And it only takes one of those to start getting a lot of differentiation there. So there's some white noise in there and you have to look at a large statistical sampling to be able to, to extract all that white noise and get something reliable. Not when yeah, you what, say it after one tournament. Go ahead, Anthony. What might be interesting though, is if there was a way to bring both stats in together and look at them that way, if you considered PPR okay. and DPR, where did people fit in? Having both, does that give you a better indication? So, Anthony, I, I'm, I'm one step ahead of you. I, what I did uh, for, for another set of analysis was I took your differential rankings for, the, for these players and I took their PPR rankings and I added the two rankings together. For instance, if you came in first in PPR and second in differential, you get a three. Um, and I did okay. that for the top players. And then I went to see if those combined PPRs um, and differentials corresponded to their overall finishes. And I got to be honest with you. <laughs> There's really not a lot of scientific uh, backing <laughs> behind that. And I'm out. So we have no idea. So we're back to wins we and losses. <laughs> yeah, after all. I mean, the results you are still inconsistent. Oh, uh, my bad. Line is, is the most important statistic is the number of wins you get in a tournament. Period. There you go. Uh, how you get it, you're better off winning six matches, 21 to 19, than you are to win four matches, 21 to nothing, and then lose 21 to 20 twice. And in that situation, that, that second player is going to look statistically like the dominant player, uh, but they're going to end up coming in second place. Sounds good to me. I think that's an important conversation, though, because we're looking at all these different stats. So I appreciate the topic and the debate. Uh, as always, it's awesome having you on, Mike. We look forward to having you on again. Uh, we are going to transition to our next segment, so we'll have to say goodbye to you now. See you, Mike. All right. Take care, everybody, and we will uh, follow these stats throughout the season, see if we can make some yeah. more reason out of them. I can't see wait. You, I can't wait to hear the PPR, DPR conversations, and um, it makes us all very, very nerdy out here in the cornhole world. Uh, but that's okay. We love it. All right, moving on to the uh, pro doubles. We talked about your top 10 list for pro singles last time, but now we're going to bring up pro doubles. So we'll start with you, Trey. Let's talk about your pro doubles top 10 list. All right. This one, I love ruffling feathers, Anthony. You know, I love doing it. Um, I, I, you know, my top 10 list, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of definites, right? Everybody's got to have Brett Guy and Eric Davis near the top. Pro shootout champions, you know, whether or not you have them at one, two, three, wherever, it doesn't matter. They don't need to be there near the top. Jamie Graham and Matt Guy, same thing. I think Jamie Graham and Matt Guy have the potential to, to really be a dominant number one team this year, but I need to see what I'm seeing in these first opens by Matt Guy. I need him to carry that over into a pro event this coming season. Um, that was not something he was able to do. He won an open event last year. He won multiple open events last year. 
but he just didn't translate that over into a national or a shootout win in singles. Obviously did it in doubles, but if he has the potential to be dominant, they could easily be the number one team. I like Trey Birchfield and Alex Rawls at two, mostly because I think Trey Birchfield was absolutely incredible this past season. And if Alex Rawls can be good and be, uh, you know, a top 20 player, you know, and I, and I have him in my top 10, but if he can be a top 20 player, I think that team has can absolutely be deadly. And that's why I have them all the way at number two. The bag chemistry will be there because they have that um, similarity and bag choice. So I'm not looking for a new team like that to have any hiccups on that front. Henderson and Hissner always there. Power and Ruben really coming out, being a top five team for me. I think both of them finally find a partner that they can do damage with. And that's what neither one of them have had before. The question is, who's going to be the alpha? And whoever's not the alpha, can that person handle it? Because they've always been the alpha. And now that they have an opportunity not to be, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, uh, Herrera and Windsor, one open win. Batson and Grindersleeve, Eric Anderson and Ryan Smith. I love that new pairing. Smith and Wooten at 10. I, you know, I needed to sneak them in there, and that looks better and better with Tony Smith getting a, a big win in open singles. But ultimately, I think the surprise, and I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised why it's a surprise. I was the only one of the three of us, Anthony, that had Duncan Clemmer and Brandon Jones on my top 10 list. They were a top 10 team last year. And so I have a lot of things on here, but I guess my – my one question, because we have a lot of similarities in our list. My one question to you, Anthony, is why no Clemmer and Jones on your list before we fully dive into your top 10 list? Uh, for the record, they're on my list, if anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> they're my top 10, Duncan and Brandon. I got you. All right. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, you said it right, Trey. We actually, and we did this in the blind. We, we didn't get to see each other's list. We did it in the blind. Nine, we had nine of the same top 10, and we had that one that was different. I kind of felt like I needed to give credit to Cheyenne Renner and how she's trending forward. Um, just talking to the one difference and, um, you know, just how much Baldwin stands out in, in, in the uh, doubles. And I'll kind of run through them and maybe explain a little bit later. Um, but just kind of throw a stat out for everybody because it's kind of interesting. Fun fact, actually. 75% of the doubles teams this year are new teams. So just kind of think about that for a minute. Wow. Um, so yeah, 75%. So number one and number two for me, go to team fire. I mean, an incredible, incredible performance from both squads last year. Um, Guy Graham finished first Davis guy finished third. And if we kind of scope this out, we're talking about over four nationals and one world. So five events digest this for a minute. Cause it's pretty crazy. In five events, Graham and Guy lose only five matches. They won four of five of the brackets. Davis Guy right behind him lost one more game, lost six matches all season, and won three of five of their brackets. They run into each other twice. They split the games. Graham Guy win two nationals. Davis Guy have a deeper run at Worlds taking third. And then they both show up in the shootout finals with Davis Guy winning it. So, like you said, Trey, you could put either team at a number one projection, but for me, I'm going to give that edge to Davis guy. I feel like they got better as the season went on. They finished stronger and they've got the momentum going into next year. At number three, hands down, my favorite personalities on the court. They have a no bullshit communication style. It's very raw and unfiltered, you know, and it works for them chemistry wise. It's really weird. I mean, it works that aggressive kind of communication style works for them. It's inter it's cornhole entertainment at its best. If, if any of the viewers out there have never seen a Henderson uh, Hissner match, you have to super consistent all year. Just talking about their five brackets. Check out how they finish in their brackets. First in their bracket, second in their bracket, first in their bracket, first and third, taking home one of the five nationals. So definitely a top three team for me. Number four, Herrera and, uh, and uh, Windsor. The best doubles team, if you look at singles performance individually, they took second and seventh individually. So coming together, I mean, they're a power team. There's only one other doubles team that had two top 10 singles players on it, and it was Guy Davis, who were fifth and seventh, respectively. I mean, to me, these boys have an elite mental game, which we don't talk a lot about yet. Asidra is a machine. He, show, he shows almost no emotion on the court. And this is pretty interesting. Ryan is actually secretly a student of mental concepts. Most people don't know this. He's got an educational background in psychology. He's got these intriguing theories on growth versus fixed mindsets. It blew me away sitting down and talking to him, Trey. It was crazy. <laughs> I think that their singles performance translates to a top four 
double spot this coming season. Birchfield Rawls, you had him up higher than me. Um, this is my first new team in the top 10. Obviously, Trey, the best player in the world, national world champ. Rawls coming in as a rookie pro. He wanted the advanced tournament at Worlds. A lot of hype around him. They throw the same bags, which I think is important. I think they turn the best performance for the new doubles teams this year. Batson Grindersleeve, my favorite team to watch play-wise. I mean, Caleb's got every shot at a high level. Eddie has one of the most beautiful bags in the league. If you've ever seen this thing, it comes in at like a laser at six feet off the ground. Arguably the best shooter out of a stacked Texas state. Here's another fun fact for you. The world champs, Camba and Baldwin, end up ranked number two in doubles at the end of the season. Lost seven total matches last year. Four of those seven came from one team. Bats and Grindersleeve. Wow. So for me, yeah. For me, they deserve a top 10 spot. And uh, they could easily crack top four. That wouldn't surprise me either. Kind of rounding out seven through 10. Um, we've got all new doubles teams. You mentioned Power Ruben. They flex their muscles in open number one, taking second, going through a Matt and Brett guy to get there. Anderson, Ryan, another power team. They were both top 20 finishers. I think they come together as a strong partner partnership. You talked about Smith Wooten and how exciting their game is. I mean, 50 bags in a row is impressive, but it's super boring. I mean, these guys are going to bring an exciting chess style game with a defense and a high skilled IQ shots. I think that's going to be good. And then getting to your question, Trey Baldwin Renner, they're my wild card. Renner clearly trending up. Um, Baldwin has this unique success in doubles that he doesn't necessarily have in singles as much. He just seems to perform really well in doubles. I think the question is going to come down to is Ken Baldwin perform at that same level of success with a new partner in Renner? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I love your stat about the Grindersleeve Batson going against Kamba, Kamba and Baldwin. So yeah, I, I love the top, I love the top 10 and, you know, Wooten and, 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 and Smith, you know, I think what's funny about that team, the pressure's on no Wooten. Like, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but like, it's his, I mean, he's got to deliver, right? We've seen Smith, Smith's going to do it. I think it, it, it falls on, on, uh, on, on no Wooten, but uh, Michelle, who, you know, we didn't have your top 10 list. I would have thrown it up here, but you hadn't debuted it just yet. So give us a little <laughs> tease. Were there any big surprises in regards to our list uh, versus your list? I mean, obviously a lot of the same. I all, I put Cheyenne on mine and I did put, like you said, Clemmer on mine as well. I'm trying to figure out who I took off to, to get them on. And I can't remember. <laughs> all my, I'm like, how did I fit all those people in there? Yeah. She's no got 13 idea. people in her top 10. She's got 13 <laughs> teams in her top 10. She's cheating. Yeah. That's my secret. Don't tell anybody. Uh, no, I mean, that really brings up a good point. I would like to recognize these guys real quick, but this is how crazy difficult the doubles division is going to be. You still got Bernicet Gust Gustafson out there. You still yep. got Harbaugh King, a new power team. Modlin Slobom, uh, Gary McGuffin, Cobb Humans. You said Clemmer Jones, Gross Sims. Gross is trying to get yeah. back to old Gross, and he's coming out with a lot of energy. And then you got Halbert Zockline. I mean, new, there's so many teams that could crack yeah. that ten. It's, it's gonna be I crazy here. I had Modlin Schoenblow on mine too, so I really don't know who I took off. It's, yeah. it's, um, <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna have to double check that list. Uh, we shall see. Um, all right, let's move into buy or sell. You guys remember how this goes? You have to actually choose buy or sell, okay? Yes, we'll commit this time. Oh, rules. We will commit this time. <laughs> There's only one rule. It's yeah. just the rule. All right, first one. We'll start with you, Trey. Tony Smith is more of a human highlight reel this season than Eric Davis. Are you going to buy or sell that? Um, You know, based on what I saw, um, I uh, the only thing I'm worried about is that he threw – zero gravity bags at this open. I think he's got a real chance to be that. I'm going to sell it with the idea of, I still think it's going to take some time to have, uh, to get used to the contraband bags. Um, once he gets used to those, I look for 2022, 2023, that version of Tony Smith. Yes. This version I'm selling it. All right. Anthony. Yeah, I'm selling as well. Tony Smith is a human highlight reel but more of a highlight reel than Eric Davis. I can't buy that one yet. They both have extremely good push games. Eric's got a little bit better push game. They both <laughs> yeah. have the roll game. They're, they're they're high IQ and do really complex shots, but I think Davis definitely takes the better highlight. Okay, reel. fair enough, fair yeah. enough. All right, Peyton Maris is the top under 18 ACL pro this season. Buy or sell, Trey? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, when looking at the list, and I know Anthony's going to sell it, I I, th I I just know he is. 
I'm going to buy it. And I think the okay. biggest competition for Mayors, if I look at that U18, his biggest competition, you got Tice Cobb. I was nervous about what I saw from Tice Cobb this past weekend. I did not like it. That doesn't make me feel good. Uh, other people, Bella Soprenant, I don't think she's ready just yet. You have Tucker Stills. You have Ian Cripps. Um, you have Alex Hicks. I think they could com- contend. I think Alex Hicks still has some development to do, right? I think his biggest one, though, his biggest is going to be Caleb Batson. And so if I'm wrong, it's going to be Caleb Batson. But I'll go out of limb. I'll say Peyton Mares is ready. I think he shocks a lot of people. And I say he finishes uh, higher than anybody else U18. But I know Anthony's selling this one. <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah, so I'm selling. Um, you mentioned- <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, yeah, I'm selling. Um, Batson is definitely at the top, but I'm really excited about Alex Hicks this year. I mean, yeah, this kid's coming in, representing KCC. He's been competing at the highest. I, I, maybe it's just a, a favor. I, I've been watching him on live feeds for over a year now. I've been watching him develop his game. I keep saying, and Batson has the same thing. It's going to be tough between those two. They both have every shot. When you see little Alex Hicks come out and he is tilting that bag and loading it in every possible plane to do what he wants that bag to do, you don't see that very often at the elite level. And little 12-year-old Alex Hicks can do that. He's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one thing, okay? When I'm worried about kids that young, okay, and Anthony is going to love this. You ready for this, Michelle? As he gr- physically gets taller – his release point changes. Mm-hmm. And so he is in that age right now where he's 12, which means at 13 years old, you see some six foot tall 13 year olds. So in that 12 to 14 range is where you start seeing people get taller and kids grow. His release point is physically going to change, which means as he grows over this next year and a half, two years, he will constantly be fighting a new release point. And so, yes, I still think he's still a top 20 player, you know, top 30 at worst, but I think that's, that poses somewhat of an issue. Yeah, it's, it's a good concept to think about. You're right. I mean, he's <laughs> making daily adjustments based on right. growth. I mean, lots going to happen for him, especially at this year in the next couple of years, his, his things are going to change. For, for sure. Yeah. Well, good news for him. He doesn't have a family, a mortgage, a job and other things <laughs> to pick up his time. So there's always that. I think he has the time to figure it out. All right. Number three, the three Cobb brothers should be in panic mode. Trey, buy or sell? Buy it. I, I did not like what I saw from the Cobb brothers this weekend. I love them to death. They're my, th- I, I'm pitching them to be in a documentary se- series. It's corn, corn, cornhole with the Cobbs and I can just follow them around all day long. Love them to death, <laughs> but I'm nervous. I don't know if it's the bags, but they just, you know, I, I didn't see, you know, the one gr- good finish was Smith and Cobb in doubles. But like I said, was that because Tony Smith was so dominant all weekend long? I don't know. Tyson Soprenant finished in tier two, right? And they didn't even win tier two. I'm worried. Yeah, that's concerning. Yeah, I'm buying as well. Yeah, I'm definitely buying. Um, I mean, if we're talking, you know, a top 10, top 15 in singles, doubles, I'm buying. Uh, But, you know, a couple of them, two of the three, right, are rookies coming in this year. I mean, for them to finish... 20 25 to 30 i mean i think that's a good first rookie season for those guys yeah. but if we're talking about being in the top in elites they're definitely you know i'm definitely buying that yeah and that's the same standard for me too they're, they're, they want to be top level players right now yeah. they're they're if they want to finish 40th then fine they don't need to panic but i don't think they want to finish 40th they don't no agreed all right this the next one is the controversial one dpr is a better gauge for talent than ppr <laughs> buy or sell well, anything changed from earlier in the show yeah well yeah so if dpr is better i'm selling that uh ppr i'm going with ppr and uh anthony mike, i guess he's buying that one mike made a no, good argument yeah i mean i gotta sell i mean the man came in he gave us the stats you're, jumping. Us. you're jumping already <laughs> no, he made he a good sh- chase. he showed me the data i have to sell <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mike, you'll be so proud when you hear this. Um, oh. Data sells. That's the moral of that story. Number five, Brennan Ballard qualifies as an ACL pro next season via the pro standings. Buy or sell? You know, this one's interesting because it, it, most people are like, duh, but he's a PDC player, which means just to get into the main bracket, he has to go through a qualification. 
I'm still going to buy it. From what I saw this past weekend being a top four finisher, I think he's not even have to worry about an application the following year. He's going to be able to get right into that pro singles division, finishing top 100 by automatically qualifying via pro standings. He's going to get into every national based on the way he played this weekend. And I think he plays well enough to finish top 100. I'm, I'm buying any method of getting in qualifier points application <laughs> he's in next year I, I whatever you i'm buying i'm brian i'm on I'm, I'm brendan baller he's in that's great i'm sure he would love to hear that <laughs> that's always good news all right let's talk about some of the news around the league now a lot of great events happening we can't possibly get into all of them um so if we didn't hit your event you know just know that we are looking at it and we appreciate all your hard work but let's start with the usa cornhole national champions you know, Anthony was there. We had Frank Maudlin wins men's singles, mixed doubles with Allison Peters, and men's doubles with Ryan Windsor. We had Rosie Streaker and Sam Finley win women's doubles, and Danielle Luna wins women's singles. So, Anthony, you were there. Tell us about the event. Yeah, Frank Maudlin stole the show. I mean, he, he got Clearly. the trifecta. He got the trifecta. He won men's singles. He won doubles. He won co-ed. He had a 10, 9, 8, you know, we're talking about stats again, PPR. To me, that that tells me he threw a lot of bags in the hole. Yeah. Um, anytime you're around 11, you know, it's it's like scoring 60 in a football game. You're probably going to win. Um, but, yeah, he sold the show. The one that stood out for me, though, Daniela Luna. Yeah. She came in. She had a big win against Peters in the finals. She tore it up through the rounders and in the earlier rounds. I mean, I was really impressed with Luna the whole weekend. I'm excited to see what she does moving forward for sure. Yeah, I was that was going to be my one to focus on it. And I know this sounds like a dumb question because she obviously won women's singles. Would you say she was the most impressive female that you saw all weekend long? I'm, I'm impressive because she stood out for me. Sam Finley threw really, really well in the earlier rounds. She just kind of couldn't finish at the end. And surprisingly, Allison Peters uh, in the earlier rounds was throwing fire. But she yeah. got on the she got on the broadcast in the singles and kind of just wasn't Allison Peters that we normally see. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I expect those kind of things from Finley Peters, but uh, Luna yeah. showed out. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Obviously, Frank had a good weekend, and you know, okay, it, I'll ask this one more question, right? And this is really to the group. I mean, Frank Modlin two years ago was good, really good. Last year he was okay. And, and then going into the end of this past season, he was elite, and he's coming out being elite again. D do we think it was the hip? I mean, was the hip, like, always causing issues? Because Frank Maudlin post-hip surgery is better than pre-hip surgery and better pre-hip problems, in my opinion. I mean, was, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, did it, did, do we think that unlocks something and some potential for Frank? <laughs> I could tell you this, Trey. Modlin's evolving his game. So let me tell you a story. We're at we're at the USA Cornhole event. He's got Peters on the opposite side. He's got a pile of laundry in the middle and an opponent's bag sitting on the hole. Any carpet roll bag guy would look at that and go, that is a clear roll bag. Peters calls the roll. She does this to Modlin. I almost fell out of my chair. I, I stopped what I was doing. I was like, what's going to happen here? Frank Modlin threw a roll bag. Yeah. He so throws he a roll bag. I saw it. Yes. He is evolving his game. I could not believe it. I don't remember. I don't was I talking? Team. I think I was actually sharing the mic with you, Trey. And I was like, did he just roll? And I, mean, I don't know if it was you or someone else. They're like, I don't think it was intentional. They did it again. I'm like, it had to be intentional. He just did it twice. Yeah. he. <laughs> and, you know, the follow through step has, I guess, helped him as well. Because he never used to do that. And then, you know, as, as he developed his game, he, he started to do that too. But Frank Modlin, I mean, just unbelievable recently. Well, so. and his airmills, obviously. I mean, is there anyone better? Nasty. His airmills are insane. <laughs> it's crazy. So that was an awesome event. Uh, the next one I wanted to touch on was the Northwest Conference. That was the first conference, um, obviously, over here by me. We had the advanced singles. Uh, first place was Scott Phillips. Second place, Dean Norton. Third place, Scott Eberly. And then for advanced doubles, we had Norton and Eberly. We had Rich and Leroy. And then we had Phillips and Hyatt. So some really great showings there. Any thoughts about that event? Yeah, I just think uh, Scott Phillips, good to see him back on the podium. I think he's a player that kind of this past season just didn't have the same vibes that he did the, the previous season. So glad to see him kind of back on track there. Any thoughts, Anthony? 
Yeah, Scott Phillips, an interesting personality for sure in the cornhole world. Uh, Hyatt, he, he seems to be successful with one of the another unique. He has the most drastic bow in his throw. Yeah. I mean, he gets way down there. He finds the hole. I, I don't know. It's it's working for him. Do you think some people are just trying to make cornhole exercise? They're like, how can I make this more? <laughs> Burn some more calories, get some more squats in. No, I doubt that's on anyone's mind. Let's be honest. Uh, we had quite a few regionals. We had the Austin Regional, the Beltway Baggers Regional, the Capital City Regional, the Motor City Regional. And then we had some pro players sweeping singles and doubles at regionals like Eric Anderson, Devin Harbaugh, Matthew Stout, Trevor Kufis, Matt Guy, Justin Rule. Jimmy Eumann, Steve Schroeder, and even Jordan Camba. So um, we're seeing them out there dominating. Yeah, we're in, in particular, I heard I heard through the grapevine, Matt Guy threw better at that region than he threw at the first open. Now, I don't know if that was someone like trying to, you know, uh, stretch a truth a little bit or what, but honestly, if that's the way he's seen, you better watch out. Matt Guy is on a tear at the current moment. But like you said last time, can he continue it when he's putting more strain on the body physically? Um, and let's hope that he can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any thoughts, Anthony? No thoughts. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. You see a list of guys like that at the top. Um, that the <laughs> no thoughts. Again. No shock there. <laughs> yeah good valid point all right we're going to talk about some viral videos uh each one of us got to choose a video that we wanted to talk about that we felt was worthy of talking about and i'm excited because mine's going to be first and i wanted to bring a player from where i live uh anthony i'm sorry adrian anthony's his dad adrian brunson and he's an incredible 14 year old player here and i wanted to show his role because they are nasty and he does that all the time all right, all right, all right, Mr. Cornhole Science. That thing's like a seven-foot roll. That thing rolled <laughs> from halfway down the lane. Look at, this, look at that again. I mean, yeah, look so at that lens. Key to the rollback for the viewers, you got to be back tilted. So we're looking at the bottom of the bag, and you can get it to walk further if you throw lower and have more of a back tilt, and that's exactly what he's doing. I mean that thing. That thing didn't Nasty. roll. That thing. That thing jogged. That thing had, had a jog <laughs> up the like board. A jaunt, a jaunt up the board. <laughs> All right, this All right, one's Anthony, fun. Yeah. So for for people that don't know, this is Jay Rubin, Air Rubin. These first four bags, we're just gonna enjoy his airmail. So he throws a flat missile, if you will, one of the flattest bags in in the game. So he's showing off. Hey, I can hit a four bagger airmail. But here's where it gets really interesting. So he's got this airmail five thousand in the front. Players will use this to force themselves to go up actually over bags. It actually hides the hole a little bit. So on bag five here, he actually clips it. And he's like, oh, look at the confusion. He's like, I ain't done. I'm not done. I'm going to go and drag the airmail 5,000. He's still got two bags in his hand. He's like, I'm going to finish this up with nine in the hole with eight bags. And then on bag eight here, bam, gets the drag bag. Look at the, look at the expression. What just happened there? This is my favorite part. And this I was laughing at this point. Look at his laugh. This is amazing. Couldn't believe it. He, he's <laughs> so good. There. Yeah, he, right? he got like, to drag the that? obstacle. Yeah. Yes, he, he's, I'm putting it all in the hole. Everything. No, he wants 11. 10 is not good enough for him. He's got to have 11 <laughs> in the hole. And no, and I think there's no audience, right? There's nothing worse than doing something like that with no audience. You're like, did anybody just see that? Or is that just At least he got it on video. He got it on video. All right, just right, here's yours. This one's mine, and and I had to go and deep in and, and dive into a broadcast because I, I I'm I'm cheating I guess so I didn't have anything but you know this is a round between Eric Davis and and Ryan Windsor and so we're watching a couple of these rounds you get the one bag in then you get one bag okay now Eric Davis rolling on top we got three bags in front of the hole and then Ryan Windsor goes for an airmail and I'm pausing it right here for those of us watching it on the video okay. There's four bags on the board. Three of them are in the center of the board. One of them's on the backside of the hole. This round ends in a double four-bagger. It ends that in is, a double four-bagger. That does not end in a four-bagger. That does not end in a – that's a mess. Well, I can if it's Eric Davis, let's be honest. <laughs> and then Eric Davis pulls out this unreal just push bag that just goes around and just whatever – and so then Ryan Windsor's got one bag left. He's like, what do I do? Do I go for an airmail? Do I push it up? He goes, I think he rolls it here. Yeah, he rolls it. He rolls it right yeah. in. Then Eric Davis. No oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who cares? You know, I'll just I'll just finish up right down the center. I mean, <laughs> I'll clean up the board. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, and then and then we got a little bit of the replay. Just the that first push. It was, was downhill just, the whole way. Downhill the whole way. 
<laughs> and then we got a little bit of a roll there, but I mean, it just. I love to watch Eric Davis push the bags. It is just, there's just nothing better. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> just, just, yeah, ridiculous. All right. It's time for the holy hot takes. And uh, we're going to start with you, Trey. What's your hot take? Hot take coming real hot out of it. Um, I think mine is, and, and maybe it's not too hot. I thought it was hot, but whatever. Brennan Ballard, (laughs) Ballard, number one ranked PDC player coming out of the season at the end of the year. Based on what I saw this weekend, number one PDC PDC player, Brennan Ballard. Okay. All right, Anthony. All right. So, and this this also includes bold statements, right, Mish? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. So, if we look at the big picture over the open number two weekend, in singles, first, second, and third were won with carpet, block, and roll games. In doubles, the champion won with a carpet block in roll game. And in women's singles, she won with a carpet block game. Okay. Here's my bold statement. Carpet bags are trending in popularity. And it gets extra bold here. And they're trending as the favorable winning strategy if you have the skill to throw them. That's that's, that a, that's a good – yeah, that is a hot one. I like it. <laughs> that's a hot mine's take. Kinda, mine's kind of Very similar. bold. Mine's kind of similar, I guess, to Trey's a little bit. I said, I think we're going to see an under 18 player win an open this year. And obviously piggybacking off my viral video, I think it could, you know, you're going to see some of these young players come out and move through that, that division. So maybe one that's not a pro. I like it. I like it. (laughs) All right. So it's been awesome. You guys, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in and listening every week for around the ACL and we will see you next time.